0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey
1: everyone, welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, who is back from his trip around the world covering Team Israel and the World Baseball Classic. Plenty to cover in this one. We'll talk about prospects having really good springs, whether or not they'll make it up to the big leagues. Most of them will end up in the minors, but that doesn't take away from big springs that they're having. We'll check in on the draft. That's something we haven't covered for a while here on the podcast. We'll also look ahead to next week's National High School Invitational. That's the high school tournament, of course, at the National Training Complex down in Cary, North Carolina. But first, Jonathan, back from Korea and Japan, is bouncing around Florida right now. And in his Grapefruit League travels, he caught up with Garrett Whitley, the 11th-ranked prospect in the Rays organization. So let's start off with Jonathan's interview with Garrett Whitley.
2: This is now your second spring training. Um, Obviously, that first one, you probably come in a little wide-eyed, not sure exactly what to expect. Can you sort of describe how much more comfortable you are just with the process of trying to get ready and, and what spring
3: training is all about now that this is your second go-round? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like it's kind of hard to put into words how much more comfortable I am now. It's um, just knowing what to expect and knowing so many more people here and kind of understanding the process of spring training and um, what it's like when everyone breaks camp and um, what to expect for a full season. It's, it's really relaxing almost. It's like, you know, instead of being worried about Know, what's gonna come next. I know what's gonna come next so I can just focus on baseball and you know it's it's calming.
2: Last year I'm sure you probably had hopes that you would be able to do X, Y, Z and got hurt. How frustrating has this process been for you so far? I mean you did go out and play and played well in the in the New York Penn League, but I would imagine that you know from that draft day till now it hasn't exactly gone according to plan.
3: Yeah, you know, not exactly. Um everything's a process and the process is different for everyone obviously. Part of mine was uh, having rehab last year, and that was a pain. I mean, that was uh, really, really frustrating. Especially, cause it took twice as long as it should have because I happened, I re-reinjured it on the way uh, coming back. You know, I was almost healthy right at the end of spring training, and then did it again. So, um, you know, that was tough. But uh, honestly, I'm, you know, I'm not happy that it happened, but. I, I learned a lot from it. Like, I, I know a lot about my body now, a lot about what I need to do to stay healthy and um, you know, feel my best every day. So I feel like as an athlete, I'm much better for it now. That's one of those things I think is the toughest thing, especially
2: for someone coming out of high school, uh, to learn you know you hear about the grind playing every day and and all those kinds of things and you haven't even gone through 140 games yet um it's a shame that you have to learn it that way but I would imagine that that learning curve is probably the steepest thing I think because when you're in high school you just go out and play you don't think about it it's not it's not the same thing as trying to get yourself ready to to go out there every single day as a
3: professional athlete yeah definitely definitely um it's been great though like the people we have in this organization are amazing with with helping me and all the other young guys get like get accustomed to it. And, um, I mean, I think we have the best training staff in, in baseball. I know we've won awards for it, and I can definitely see why. Like the guys that we got in there, just like you know, they're great, helping you learn about everything and always working with you, checking in on you, make sure you're doing what you need to do. And then um, you know, our coaching staff's great too, just uh, from a more mindset place it's just you know getting you ready every day and um having you prepared to to go out and do your best you have probably spent more time at this facility than
2: you would ever care to uh, <laughs> how excited are you to get out and hopefully you know start april whenever the start of the minor league season is in in bowling green man you know i just want to
3: i just want to play ball <laughs> and uh once we get in play in front of crowds again and um playing under the lights it's it's definitely more fun and uh more exciting and you know those games matter and um i'm really really looking forward to it
2: how often do you go home or have you kind of settled down here i know a lot of guys are from the northeast once they once they get into the warm weather and and the ability to be outside all the time they kind of want to stay down here what was your off season like in terms of that
3: um you know i actually spent a lot of time back home just because i have uh a 15 year old brother and a 13 year old sister. So, um, I, I mean, I like to spend time around my family, but especially for them, because, um, you know, I felt we, it feels a little weird just being away and um, we're, we're close. So, not being a part of their everyday life is a little bit strange to me still. Um, so, I try to spend a good amount of time. Um, at home so I can, you know, see my brother's baseball, uh, basketball games and my sister dances so I can go to her stuff too and, you know, just spend time with them.
2: Now, does your brother play baseball also? He does. He's a catcher. Yeah, because I thought I remember reading somewhere that there was a scout that worked with both of you at the same time. And, yeah. Um, now, does he have some, some ability or is it, is he the younger brother in, in every facet? He's got some ability for he does. sure. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that
3: smile. Yeah, he's good. Where does this where does this talent come from, for both of you? I mean, clearly everything he learned came from me. <laughs> but the talent, we got some good genes. I'll tell you that. Um, did, I mean, were your parents athletes? My dad was. Yeah. Yeah. My dad played. Uh, he played basketball and tennis in high school, and then he played. He walked onto the um, volleyball team at UMass in college. So, I think he played like three years there. Have you noticed, you know, the the
2: sort of northeast cold weather kid having to, you know, catch up? Has there been a learning curve there as well, or do you feel uh, that you've, you've kind of caught up now to you know, the kids from Southern California, um, you know, places that they can play three
3: sixty five? You know, it's it's tough to to say. In certain aspects of the game, definitely felt like I was a little bit behind once I got here. It, not not in like major ways or anything that would really prevent me from, you know, continuing or being able to play or anything like that. But just, yeah, like, stuff that happened, that comes from not being able to play year-round. Um, just, like, you know, number of balls you see off the bat and BP. and um, So, you know, roots I'm getting in the outfield and, um, and base running things, little stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I feel like now, especially – you know, coming into this will be my third season. Um, I feel caught up for sure. I feel like, you know, I feel a noticeable difference in my abilities in the outfield, the, the routes I'm taking, the balls I can get to now. You know, I, I always could get to a ball in the gap, but I feel like I can – my range is, you know, better, and I feel a lot more comfortable in the base pass. all the little things that, you know, come from playing more.
2: I would thinking some of it is efficiency, right? Definitely. I mean, you could probably – when you were younger, you just relied on the pure speed to to get there. Now you're actually using the speed to its fullest extent. Yeah, exactly.
3: Um, our outfield coordinator has been great working with me on, you know, first step and um, getting depth and all kinds of stuff just to make your route more efficient in the outfield, and it, it really does help. All right, I got two more for you. One, you know, the,
2: the Rays have kind of recommitted to taking a lot of high school guys more recently so now we see like a guy like josh low come in it's his first spring training do you feel that you know you're in a position where you can sort of
3: show them how things work it's sort of going back to my first question about being more comfortable around here yeah definitely um you know i i really appreciated last year all the guys who it was their second and third year and they kind of took me under their wing and um showed me the ropes and um, especially with Josh being an outfielder now, we spend a lot of time together. So I feel like every every chance I get to help him out and make him feel more comfortable, I do. Helps that you know his brother's here too and stuff. So.
2: And then my last thing, I saw that you tweeted something about Chris Archer buying Chipotle's yeah. for everybody. Like, what does it mean to you? It, it, it seems like a small gesture, um, but like, what does it mean to the guys on this side when the guys on that side sort of remember from? From whence they came, and, and take care of you guys with some
3: something, something like that. Yeah, Honestly, it's it's really amazing. I mean, Archer's a great dude, and um, he, I mean, doing things like that obvi- is obvious. But even just small things like, um, you know, I'm a an A ball player right now, and third year guy, and um, he'll come up to me and say hello. And um, we have a lot of good guys like that on our big league side, and. It's great just to know, you know, that they didn't forget where they came from. They're not, uh, you know, trying to act all big time and um, they know what we're going through. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just it's great to know that we have those sorts of people in our organization and that, you know, not everybody changes when they get to the bigs, you know.
1: All right, good stuff there from Garrett Whitley and Jonathan. Jonathan, he talked about, you know, coping with the injury and the rehab. His little brother, who apparently is a good athlete, and, of course, coming out of the Northeast as well. What stood out to you from that interview? Yeah, I remember
0: him from the draft and how, you know, being lot, you know, at the draft in Secaucus and, and was impressed uh, w- with how he carried himself. And I know I feel it, Jim and I, it's like a broken record, just uh, more and more impressed each year with these you know kids out of high school and, and how uh, self-possessed they are. And, uh, he's just mature um, more than anything else and understanding – uh, that it's a it's a long process, and and uh, not getting frustrated that he struggled initially and then got hurt, and I think the fact that he finished the season well last year in the New York Penn League uh, gave him something to to carry into the off season, and uh, and into this year, and I you know I think that he could be a guy who who breaks out a, a bit to this uh, this year as he moves to full season ball.
1: It's always easier not to get discouraged when Chris Archer is buying you Chipotle too. That that always right? helps. Uh, Jim, are you still very high on Garrett whitley um
4: i guess I'd like to see him do some more with the bat like like it's too early to bury him you know he's from you know obviously you know a cold weather area of the country. those players are usually less developed than the guys from Florida or California or Texas. That said, I mean, awful lot of swing and miss he He did finish the season strong last year in the New York Penn league in the final month or so, so that's a good start, but uh, well, I haven't given up on him, I'm, I'm kind of at the point where it's like, okay, I'd like to see some more you know, consistent production out of Garrett Whitley, or I'm going to you know, maybe cool on him a little bit more.
1: All right, let's move on to uh, some top prospect performers of the spring. Jonathan, you have a story right now on MLBPipeline.com covering a lot of these guys, and 14 of them that you focus on are in the top 100 prospects. I'm not going to go through all 14, but... We'll touch on a few of these guys. At the top, there's really no surprises. Andrew Benintendi, uh, shockingly, is having a good spring. We saw what he could do in September, and it looks like he's going to carry that right into the season. Juan Mancata has been sent down to the Triple A team for the White Sox, but while he was up in big league camp, he performed well over 300 with three home runs. Gleyber Torres... I think we thought would have a great spring after obviously what he did in the Arizona fall league. And maybe he did better than we could have even anticipated. Um, Four sixty-four over 28 at bats. He's so young. How impressive is this to you, Jonathan?
0: Yeah, he just continues to impress. Uh, I don't, you know, I've run out of accolades. Uh, I, I think uh, with which to, to describe him and, you know, Took advantage of the fact that T.D. Gregorius was playing in the World Baseball Class- Classic, so probably got a little more playing time than maybe he would have, or at least at shortstop. And uh, you know, the the confidence has carried over, and the performance has carried over. And uh, you know, wh- wherever he goes, I think uh, this Grapefruit League performance is-, is going to help him feel that he's. Yeah, you're closer to big league ready than uh, than most people thought. Uh, I know it's a very small amount of time, but I think you know, uh, judging from what I've seen from him, I think that's how he he's going to to view it.
1: And now D.D.'s Dee hurt. You wonder if D.D. had gotten hurt in July instead of now, if there might be time for Torres to come up. Obviously, though, he's never played Double A, so he'll head down to Double A to start. Uh, the season with Trenton, and I would imagine he probably won't be there very long before he moves on from there. Um, looking at other guys on this list, um, obviously the Brewers system is now stacked, and it seems like Lewis Brinson is maybe the next guy on the way. Jim Brinson has torn it up this spring. Does that make his timetable to the majors even quicker than maybe it was already anticipated?
4: I don't know. I mean, I, I like looking at seeing how guys do in spring training, and, and it's you know I get all excited about the numbers too. But at the same time, it's spring training games, the guys who are in games sometimes, you know, a lot of these prospects are more in the game at the end of the games facing other minor league type players. It's not like you know they're facing you know Clayton Kershaw you know in all their at bats. So I, I don't. I, I think it's a little foolhardy if the teams read too much into 30 or so at bats in, in big league camp. You know, with Brinson, you know the tricky thing is too. Like if I'm running the Brewers and I'm not, unless I've, I've missed something. But if I were running the Brewers, I don't care how Lewis Brinson could go 34 for 34 with 34 homers. We're not contending this year. I don't want Lewis Brinson's service time clock to start ticking. Like, I don't want to make him free agent eligible or arbitration eligible before I have to. So, like, in Brunson's case specifically, on on a team that's clearly not going to contend, to me, no matter how well he played, I wouldn't have him up before June or July. I'd make sure we we got another year before we had to go to arbitration for him, which I I hate saying, but that's just the reality. If you're a a rebuilding, non-contending team, there's no real incentive to get these guys to the big leagues quicker than you have
1: to. There's a lot more position players on this list, Jonathan, than, pit, than pitchers. But one guy that's looked really good, and, and you think about the trades, the White Sox pulled off, and I already mentioned Mancata. and obviously there, there's Kopech there as well and Giolito. But Reynaldo Lopez has looked better than you know any of those other pitchers, at least this spring, three earned runs over 18 innings. He's ready. I mean, he pitched in the majors last year. It seems like he's ready to be in a rotation.
0: I, I think he is you know whether or not he breaks camp that way you know we'll have, we'll have to wait and see but you know I, I think you know both he and Giolito will pitch in Chicago at this at some point this year and he had a rough first outing and then after that has been pretty lights out uh and you know he he pitched better in Washington than Giolito did uh so you know I think he's just a, a little closer to being able to be a full-time contributor to a big league rotation. And, uh, you know, he's shown that this spring. And if and when the White Sox decide to call his name, I think he'll probably be up for good, Uh, you know, and and even if it's sort of staggered and he's there first and then Giolito joins him a little bit later on.
1: One more guy off this list I wanted to talk about, and all those guys we've spoken of are in the top 50 prospects. Uh, One from the 50 to 100 batch uh, is Jake Bowers and maybe – the best numbers of any of these guys as far as the spring goes. The slash line, 400, 486, 933. He's four homers on the spring. He's driven in 11. Uh, Jim, how about Jake Bowers in Tampa Bay? And this is a team that spent a whole year last year trying to find a first baseman. And and they, they have one at the major league level right now for, for however long that lasts. But the future is coming quickly.
4: Yeah, although I actually think that future might come in the outfield. Yeah. He's, uh, for for a guy who who came up or who came into pro ball as a first baseman, he you know I saw him playing the fall league a couple of years ago with kind of his first real taste of the outfield, and he looked better than you'd expect. In the reports we've gotten from scouts over the years are that he's pretty good, but. Uh, you know, I remember uh, the year he came out in the draft when the Padres took him, uh, he was one of the, the the kind of not, you know, he wasn't a first-round pick or anything like that, but he was a guy, you know, if you dug a little deeper, some scouts, you know, I had some scouts tell me they thought he was one of the more interesting hitters in the draft. They really thought he was, he was one of the better pure hitters in the draft. You know, maybe not famous enough to go in the first round, but guys did like his bat and you know, he's done nothing to, to make you change that opinion in, in pro ball. You know, real nice year in double-A. Last year, actually got the double-A, you know, midway through the, the year before when he was 19 years old. And power started to come last year. He controls the strike zone really well. Again, I mean, you don't want to read too much into 30 at-bats. But, you know, am I surprised that Jake Bowers is able to handle himself well in big league camp? Not at all. I just I think, you know, we've got him – what, I think, number 75 or 76 on our top 100 prospects list, and, you know, again, I mean, I like where we have him, Jonathan, but it wouldn't surprise me if he keeps climbing that list, because he can really, really hit.
0: Yeah, I think it's starting to show in, in, the, in the numbers, uh, both last year and, I mean, in this spring, again, sample size caveat, but when I was in Rays camp, I mean, there were people who, you know, were looking at him and felt that, uh, he had a chance to be more productive than either of the projected corner outfielders in the big league lineup, in Colby Rasmus and Steven Souza. Um, not taking anything away from either one of those guys, but I think there was some feeling that uh... you know you put Bowers in there as a regular, and then those guys are you know the number four or number five outfielders, and that makes them a better team. Now that's not going to happen, uh, but uh, you know I think what really stood out is that. Those numbers are ridiculous, but he didn't look like he was red hot. It's it's the same approach that he he had last year in the minor leagues, and it just is working at, at the highest level.
1: Before we move on to our draft discussion, uh, we wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Cut Forecast. The Cut Forecast is the podcast from the staff of MOB.com's Cut Force section, which focuses on the lighter side of baseball. If you've made it this far into our podcast, we really think you'll enjoy that one as well. It'll make you laugh, and you might even learn something about baseball dogs or ballpark food. Last week's episode featured Indians beat reporter Jordan Bastian discussing the return of Willie Mopena Pena to spring training in the wide variety of hairstyles displayed in Indians camp. So if that sounds like something you'd be into, search cut forecast, cut, that's C-U-T, the number four, and then C-A-S-T in iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. And click subscribe. Now on with the show. All right, it's been a while since we discussed the draft, and and obviously the top 50 prospects is out on MLBPipeline.com. That's going to get updated uh, within the next month or so. Late April, that'll be up to 100, and there'll be some re-rankings involved in there, too. So don't go strictly by that top 50, but there's an inbox out on MLBPipeline.com with a lot of draft topics as well, Jim, um, that you have covered. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit, because some of that is the changes, and the top fifty right now, Hunter Green's right there at number one. A guy that was a two-way player. Now it seems like the leaning is towards him as a pitcher. Um, but there's one of those types of guys coming out of the college ranks as well, and that's Brendan McKay, um, who has looked great in both aspects as well, hitting and pitching. Uh, Jim is the the consensus that he's going to be a pitcher as well.
4: <laughs> there's the, the the funny thing with him is there's no consensus. Like it, it there, there wasn't coming in. And there isn't now. And you know, you mentioned Hunter Green, and with most of these guys who are legitimate two-way talents, you have a pretty good feeling which way they're going to go. Like as interesting as Hunter Green is with with his defense and shortstop and his power-hitting potential, Hunter Green's going to be a right-handed pitcher. We know that. You know, and that's that's true. Almost all these cases, any of these two-way guys you can cite uh, over recent years, you pretty much have a pretty good feel for which way they're going to go. With McKay. Yeah, you know, I spent the better part of yesterday uh, kind of going down draft rabbit holes, trying to figure out the last time there was a guy who could be a legitimate top five overall pick, as both a hitter and a pitcher. Because um, again, I mean, Hunter Green's good, but Hunter Green I don't think would be a top five pick as a shortstop. And McKay could really go go both ways, go that high both ways. I mean, if you talk to some scouts, they think he's the best college hitter in this draft. His power is starting to emerge. The intriguing thing with a two-way guy at the college level, is scouts usually will give him a little bit extra projection that he'll get a little bit better once he concentrates on one role rather than two. So there's, you know, thinking that there might be even more power in there and you think this guy's definitely going to hit. And then you talk to other guys who to say they like him better as a pitcher and they think he'd be the first pitcher from this draft to reach the big leagues. He's, he's a lefty who for three years has thrown a ton of strikes he's got a fastball that runs about 91-95, he's got a plus curveball, he's got feel for a changeup, he's got crazy stats, both as a hitter and a pitcher this year, he's won the, the John Olerud Award his first two years as, as college baseball's top two-way player, and he'll probably win it again, and anyway, like I said, I, I, I kind of was getting intrigued after I got the question for the inbox, so I was trying to figure out who was the last guy who really was a legitimate top five or top ten overall pick, both ways, and you know, the, the, the one, one guy who went, uh, Jonathan, I don't remember him because he's a Pirate, but John Vambenskot in 2001 was the number eight overall pick in the draft by the Pirates as a pitcher. And he's he's not really the answer to this question because while the vast majority of teams preferred him more as a hitter, he he led Division One with 31 homers that spring. When I was at Baseball America back then, we ranked him as the sixth best player in the draft as a position player, and he did go eighth as a pitcher could say I think the Pirates were way higher on him as a pitcher than everybody else. That he wasn't a consensus top ten guy both ways. You know, Josh Hamilton would have been a first round pick as a pitcher, but it would have been late first round, not number one overall. Uh, Trey Ball, a couple years with the go with the Red Sox, was a number seven overall pick as a lefty, and the Padres would have considered him at number thirteen. But again, the consensus of him was more probably second rounder. Yeah, I mentioned John Olerud. And Ulrich's kind of a, a good comp for McKay just in terms of being a pure hitter where the bat was better than the power. And it was, you know, McKay's got better stuff, but they were both, you know, they did wouldn't overpower you but could really pitch. But Ulrich wasn't going to go in the first round as a pitcher, even though he put up big numbers at Washington State. So I really think the last guy, as far as I could determine, if you're looking for a guy who was consensus, top ten pick both ways, would probably be Dave Winfield going back wow. to the 1973 draft. And, the, and the, the crazy thing about that is that Dave, I mean, and I'm not knocking Brendan McKay, but like athletically, those guys aren't comparable at all. I mean, Dave Winfield was drafted in, in, in the NBA and NFL and was this unbelievable athlete. And McKay is more of a a really good baseball player. who's kind of an athlete in the mold of the John Olerud. And, and that just, it, it blows me away to kind of put those guys in the same sentence. And, and, and t- uh, well, I guess new guys were there at the rookie program this year. But the the cool thing was, Dave Winfield, who who seems to be at the rookie program every year. Uh, we were sitting around, you know, as you guys both know, there's a lot of downtime at the rookie program in between interviewing players. And Winfield had downtime. He came over and, and sat down and, and was talking to, to Jason Ratliff and David Venn and I, and, and kind of asking us questions about our jobs. And we were asking him questions about him. And, and I had a great time asking him about the legendary last time he ever pitched. He struck out 15 in eight innings against USC in the College World Series, tired in the ninth inning, came out of the game, and USC had probably the greatest rally in the history of the College World Series to, to beat the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And they put Winfield in left field after he pitched and actually came out to him during the inning asking him if he'd go back to the mound, and he didn't, and he never pitched again. But he, uh, you talk to people who saw Dave Winfield pitch, in, in college at Minnesota, and nobody's saying he made the wrong choice because he's a Hall of Famer as a hitter, but there are people who tell you that you know he had the potential to make the Hall of Fame as a pitcher, too.
1: Jonathan, we at the point now where teams that are considering a guy like McKay are just saying, all right, is he a pitcher or is he a hitter? Are there teams out there that would be willing to at least, to start, let him do both?
0: I can't imagine that anybody will let him do both, uh, although that certainly would be interesting, and I think... Uh, looking a little further down the road internationally when Otani eventually comes from Japan, uh, that's going to be a, a, a tougher decision because that guy's done it you know, at the professional level uh, both ways. I, I think the, the key is going to be that they need to find out what the kid wants to do. Now if he's the kind of kid that is like whatever you, know, whatever you draft me as, that's, I'll do that, uh, and I think he is that kind of kid, but he may have a preference and that may help sort of drive where he lands in the draft. You know, there may be a, a top-five team that really wants him as a pitcher, but if he really if he wants to hit, they may pass on him, you know, because they don't want to take a chance to have a guy, you know, forced into doing something that he's not completely bought into doing. So, so some of it may have to do with, you know, what he wants to do. Um, I was, it's funny. I was trying to think of other two-way guys. I remember I did a story on Joe Savory and Sean Doolittle, both of whom ended up going kind of, back and forth, uh, they were the you know, same, same class, uh, and, and they switched back and forth at various times in their career. Obviously, it's worked out better for, for Doolittle, uh, who, who's made a, a nice career as a pitcher now, uh, but he went out as a hitter, and Savory went out as a pitcher, and then switched, and then switched back. Um, there is always the possibility uh, of if one thing doesn't work out, you can try the other, uh, you know, although that doesn't always prove to be to be beneficial to the player or the team.
1: Christian, Beth- I was just going to oh, chime go in
4: just to follow up on that. I don't think he stated a preference, and I do think it's a little bit different. You have more if you're the, if you're dealing with a college player, you have a little bit more leverage in terms of having the guy do what you want than if the high school player. I remember Casey Kelly. Coming out of high school, the Red Sox thought he was the most advanced high school pitcher in the draft, but he wanted to play shortstop, and they let him play shortstop or you weren't going to sign him. You know, Caleb Cowart with the Angels, I think most teams preferred him as a pitcher, but he wanted to hit. And so, again, if you were going to sign him, uh, you know, out of high school rather than have him go to college for three years, you had to let him have your way. With the college guys, I think it's a little bit easier in that, you know, especially with a guy like McKay who's going to go so high in the draft, is he going to turn down You know, a bonus that's probably going to be $3 million on the conservative side and could be as much as 5 or six. You know, because he wants to do one thing and the team wants to do him another? So they'll probably – whoever drafts him will probably be able to get him to do what they want, although you, you do have college guys like – I remember Brett Eibner, when the Royals took him, almost everybody thought Brett Eibner yeah, – they, they liked the power, but there was a lot of swing and miss and they thought he'd be better off as a pitcher, but he wanted to hit and made that very clear, and, and the Royals drafted him as a hitter. Uh, you know, If I had to guess right now, I think it's harder to find left-handed pitchers than it is first basemen. So, I mean, while I think it's pretty close to 50-50 or maybe 55-45, if I had to guess, I would guess he comes out as a pitcher. But it's just really interesting to see a guy who could go that high in the draft I, I, I feel bad. I can't think of a time, Jonathan, where you could say, okay, this guy, like the draft for today, Brendan McKay is definitely going in the top five picks. That's a lock. I just can't tell you what he's going to get drafted as. And, and that right. seems crazy to me. One
1: that's more uh, two way guy this year that we get to, to see in the big leagues Christian Bethencourt, who the Padres are kind of mm-hmm. turning into or trying to turn into a part time pitcher. We'll see how that goes. You can do that on a team that's in the position that the Padres are in in 2017, where. Let's be honest; they're not going to be very good. All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> Helium made its way into the inbox, Jim. So I, I, we have to discuss that. One more thing on the draft, and that is, as far as Helium Watch goes, Austin Beck not in the preseason top 50. He's on the rise, though, right now, isn't he?
4: He he is, and it's you know I think if again if the draft were today and a lot could change, I think the consensus of most teams would put him you know somewhere. In the like maybe in the 15 to 20 range in the first round, although there is interest from, I think, at least a couple teams in the top 10. Uh, so if you saw him go, you know, maybe as high as five to the Braves, that's, you know, it, as we say, you know, we, not only do we use the, the word helium a lot, Tim, we, we also use the phrase it only takes one team. Um, and I think he could sneak into the top ten. But Austin Beck is a, a North Carolina high school outfielder who who tore up his knee in the play in the state playoffs last May, so he was not on the showcase circuit. He was not in Jupiter at the Worldwood Bat Championships in October. People obviously knew who he was, but he wasn't out there making a bigger name for himself and you had to see how he how he would look when he came back and you know, it's intriguing. I mean, it's one of the better packages of tools in this year's draft that there's power potential, there's speed, there's center field skills, there's arm strength. You know, the, the, the one question and probably the hardest thing to scout on any position player is the bat, and it's a little tougher on him just because you didn't get that history with him over the summer to see him swinging wood bats against top-level competition. So there's a little bit more risk factor. But, you know, this is a guy who not only has helium now – he could continue to rise if he proves himself to scouts. You know, between now and the draft, we've got a little bit more than two months to go. He could go even higher, but but I would think. Yeah, uh, and I mentioned this in the inbox. I, I I've got draft fever. I'm five. I'm fully. Uh, uh, I can't wait to dive fully into the draft over the next couple months, which will be be our main focus. And uh, but I do think if we were doing a new list today, he would easily be the highest ranked guy. Who is not on our preseason top fifty?
1: All right, I did want to get in a little bit of talk about the National High School Invitational as we uh, we're getting running out of time a little bit here. But let's get into that a bit. Uh, myself and Jonathan will be down in Cary, North Carolina, calling these games next week. Sixteen uh, team tournament. Some people may have heard of it. Some people may not have. But basically, sixteen of the best high school teams in the country, and also they try to get 16 teams that have some of the most talented individual players in the country as well. And, and Jonathan, this is one of the best fields we've had, I think, for the NHSI, and I'll, I'll rattle off some of the best teams as far as ratings go. American Heritage um, out of Florida, perfect game as them ranked number 21 in the country. Archbishop McCarthy, Uh, Out of Florida, number one according to Perfect Game, number three according to Baseball America. Canterbury High School out of Fort Myers is number seven for Perfect Game. Coleman High School out of Alabama, number nine. Uh, Hamilton High School out of Arizona is number 12 according to Baseball America. Huntington Beach, who's the defending champ and is actually in their third straight NHSI, number two according to Perfect Game, 13 in Baseball America. Uh, Orange Lutherans, number four for Perfect Game. South Hills High School out of California, number 10. Winder Barrow High School in Georgia, number 28. So some of the really most talented teams around the nation are coming together. Jonathan, we've almost, I don't want to say, seen this team grow up because they've had good seniors each year. But when you talk about Huntington Beach, a team that won this thing a year ago, uh, and and their head coach – you know Maduro there. You got Nick Prado and and you also have Hagen Danner, who we saw compete right. as sophomores. Prado wasn't with the team then, um, and now they're finally seniors. And it's going to be fun to see this team go at it one more time, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and you have to think that they come in sort of the presumptive favorite without knowing the rest of the roster, just because they've they've been through it, uh, you know, a couple of times, and they were young uh, overall, even if they did lose some some seniors. Um, and a couple more two-way guys, that seems to be the the theme, in, in Prado and Danner. And I think with each of them, there, there is some split in the scouting industry as to what people like them as. So, you know, it's great because we'll get to see them doing both. We haven't seen Hagen Danner behind the plate, I don't think, at an NHSI because, uh, the, the, you know, they wanted to save him because he had to pitch, and it's you know back-to-back-to-back days, and that doesn't happen in the high school season usually. Uh, so it should, uh, it should be a lot of fun, and it's a, it's a great event. Uh, you, you rattled off all the rankings uh, with really good teams, and this year uh, a good amount of, of draft talent, and then plus, Tim, we, we get to see the, uh, the snazzy Huntington Beach uniforms.
1: Yes, yeah, so maybe they'll have a new one this year. It's either, You know, it's bright orange, it's charcoal, they have a black one. They never wear white, I don't think, but they're always fun and uh, the good <laughs> unis. As far as top players go, um, we mentioned Prado and Danner, Hans Kraus, Jacob Heatherly, Garrett Mitchell, Brady McConnell, just some of the names there. Um, of those guys, Jim, and, and I know you're not going to be down there with us, we, we wish you were, but who, who do you think we should certainly keep our eye on of, of those players outside of those Huntington Beach guys?
4: Well, well, those are those are all good names. I think Mark Vientos is a seventh player who's on our top fifty prospects list. It's a, you yeah. know, it's terrible. Is I've never been to an NHsi, which is brutal because not only would I terrible. love to see the event, it's a great event. I could see all my old friends at Baseball America who's so right there in the backyard of Baseball America, but it always seems to coincide with uh, spring break for my kids, and so unfortunately. I know you guys can to feel bad for me. I will be in Hawaii during this year's NHSI, um, which will be a shame that I'll, I'll, I'll miss it. But uh, I'll tell you who intrigues me, and I was looking forward to seeing him in the Under Armour game. I never got to see him hit because it rained. But probably the best underclassman, was on that American Heritage High team with Mark Vantos It's Tristan Cassis, this really impressive physical looking hitter. He's a guy I'd be interested in seeing. Y- you know my infatuation with Cody Bellinger. Well, you got his little brother, Cole Bellinger as part of that Hamilton high team. And-, and just looking at this event and these rosters, it makes me feel really old because a- and you have to indulge me here for a brief story. The first baseball team I ever covered as a beat was the 1987 Georgia Bulldogs when I was in college. First team in school history They went to the College World Series. <laughs> the third baseman on that team was Rich Bielski, who's the head coach at Archbishop McCarthy, which has won national championships. And the shortest on that team was Pat Swift, who now has a kid, Drew Swift, who's on that Hamilton High team. He's the double play partner with Cole Bellinger. And it just makes me feel really old thinking back to covering their dads, covering these guys at Georgia, and that was 30 years ago now. So I, I am getting old. I wish I was going to see some of these guys. You guys have to say hi to Rich Bielski for me. And if you run into Pat Swift, Drew Swift's dad, you have to say hi to Pat Swift for me as well.
1: We we absolutely will. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can check out the action as well. As I said, me and Jonathan are going to be calling the game, so they will be streamed. Uh, on MLB.com, also on USA Baseball's website. So check out the action. We'll have two games on Wednesday, two games on Thursday, the semifinals on Friday, and then the championship game at 12:15 Eastern, I think, on Saturday. Um, and there's been 10 finalists in this tournament over its five-year history, nine of them from California, one from Florida. So uh, California tends to dominate. We'll see if that continues again this year. Uh, but... Jonathan, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be good to do this podcast also in person from Kerry next week. So we'll try to do that. We'll try to get a player on as well.
0: Yeah, that was was fun. We had Brax Garrett on with us, uh, and uh, he responded by getting violently ill afterwards. So, you know, try to keep the streak going.
1: I think we didn't even know he had food poisoning the night before, still came on the podcast, and then went out, still played, and I think had the game-winning hit that afternoon after pitching a shutout. I mean, it was unbelievable, and obviously – that helped fuel him. His, his appearance on the podcast helped fuel him into the first round of the draft last year. No June, question. Absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in.